God creates in the beginning mankind. Time goes by, we populate the earth. Uh, many times men were obedient to God, many times they were disobedient to God. Men, the Israelites ended up being encapsulated by the Egyptians. They were enslaved by the Egyptians in bondage to Egypt. And God comes to this man one day called Moses in a burning bush. Would that freak you out? It'd freak me out. Most people run away from burning bushes, but Moses felt to run to this one. And in this burning bush is the voice of God. And God says to him, I've got a plan for your life. I want you to do something for me. And it's not about you. It's about a whole nation of people who are living in bondage right now. But I need you to work with me on this. And Moses puts his hand up and says, yes, I'll do it. I'll go. And so Moses goes to Pharaoh and we all know the story. Let my people go. No, I won't. Yes, you will. 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 Yes, I will. And the children of Israel come out of bondage and they're free, which is an Old Testament picture of salvation. We are free. We have been set free from the slavery and the captivity of Egypt. But how many of you know that God had something more for them? God wanted to take them, not just get them out of bondage, not just set them free. He wanted to take them to a place, a beautiful place that flowed with milk and honey. He wanted to give them a land for their possession. He wanted them to to prosper and to grow and to go forward. But they rebelled against God. They argued and they complained and, and, and grumbled and so on. And a whole generation died in the wilderness. Yeah, when Moses led them, the Bible says that their shoes never wore out. Their clothing never wore out. Their food came enough for each day. The manna fell from heaven. Moses, if you can liken him to, say, a modern-day person, Moses was like a caretaker. He had this caretaker uh, mentality, the caretaker uh, anointing, whatever, upon his life, where what they had was all they had. They weren't going forward. They weren't taking uh, any ground. They weren't really making progress, but their needs were being met for for each day. It was a real caretaker kind of mentality. But then we see this change in leadership to Joshua, a man called Joshua. And when Joshua takes over, all of a sudden, Joshua's got this mentality, we've got to go forward and we've got to take ground. And God comes to him and says, you know what, I've got a land for you. You're going to lead these people. There's a lot of people. Joshua obviously is freaking out, a bit scared about this. And God keeps saying, it's okay, I'll be with you, but I want you to lead them. I want you to take them forward because I don't want my people to just be set free and just be sitting in the same place. Setting, being set free is a wonderful thing. Being saved even if you're is a wonderful thing. But God wants to take his people to a place. God wants to move his people forward. God has things that he wants to give to each of us. God has things that he wants to give. Possessions that are out there. In God's mind, they already belong to the church, but the church haven't taken them yet. The church haven't rose up and gone forward and taken them yet. I don't know all the reasons. God knows the reasons. I only know the reasons why I probably haven't gone forward myself personally and done everything that God has called. I know my reasons. I don't know your reasons. But what I do know is this. The New Testament church is called to go forward. The book of Joshua is parallel to the book of Acts, if you want to have a look at it. Okay? The book of Joshua is like the birthing of the New Testament church. We've been set free, but there's a reason. The Gospels are all about Jesus, what he did, what he taught, what uh, his sacrifice was all about. He dies on the cross, he sets us free. We're free, we're out of Egypt. But the book of Acts is all about going forward, isn't it? 
It's about the church, the first 30 years of the church and the progress that they made. Um, if you go through it, you'll see probably 20 or 30 times Luke, who wrote the book, will give us progress reports. And 5,000 were added to their number. And, and, and they daily they multiplied. And the church multiplied greatly. And 200 were added to their number. And many leaders came to faith. And many Jewish religious leaders came to faith. And then business people. And it goes through this throughout the whole book. It gives us these updates. And the point is that the church is to be going forward, taking ground, not being stagnant thing that just sits there in its own blessing but the church is meant to be a dynamic moving forward body it's meant to be something that's taking ground for God and we find ourselves here in in, in Numbers chapter 13 going back to Moses and this is how it all panned out for them God says to Moses, I want you to send out some men, in in, in verse 2, send some men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each of the tribe tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. These 12 spies weren't dysfunctional beings. These 12 spies that were sent out by God through Moses to go into the promised land and check it out were leaders of their tribes. These were good men. These are together people. These are not the kind of people that you would think could easily be sideswiped, could easily be led into deception. These were quality people, leaders of their tribes. Now listen to what God says to Moses. He says, send men out to spy the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. He did not at any point say, go and have a look and see if you think you are strong enough militarily to take them. He didn't say, go into the promised land and see if you have the equipment to take them. He didn't say, go and see if you think that you, you know, are up for the challenge. He said, go and have a look at a land that I am giving you. In other words, it's already yours. It'd be like me taking one of you out to the car park right now with my car, saying, I'm giving you my car. I want you to come out with me, have a look at it. How silly would it be if you went out there and looked and go, oh, look. I wasn't selling it to you. I told you it's yours. I'm just asking you to come and have a look at it. You're not going to get it right now because I'm going to take it to the car wash. I'm going to give it a wash. I want to tune it up. But next Friday, I'm going to come and give it. But I want you to come and see what I'm giving to you. It's yours. I'm not asking you, can you afford it? I'm giving it to you. And this is what God is doing here. He's saying to the nation of Israel, you're out of bondage. You're out of slavery. You're saved. You're set free. And now I've got all these things that I want to give to you. I've got this place I want to take you to. And he says, go and have a look at what I am giving to you. And they come back and we all know the sad, sad story. I think this is one of the saddest stories in the history of humankind. It is one of the saddest stories. A whole generation of people, a whole generation, die without receiving it. We're not talking 10, 50, 20 people. We're talking a whole generation of people died. Because the spies went out. And they checked out the land and they came back. When they came back, what did they say? They said this. They said, we went to the land in verse 27. We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. So they've gone into the land and basically they've said, everything God said about this land is true. And look, here's a watermelon. Here's a banana. Here's an apple. Check it out. Feed your family for a week. The fruit's fantastic. The land is wonderful. Everything God said is true. But. But. Everything God said about this land is true. Nevertheless, verse 28, the people who dwell in the land are strong. 
Why are you looking at that? Why are they looking at it? Why are they concerned about that? God didn't say, go and see if you've got a stronger army than them. If God said, go and see if your army's stronger than theirs, that would make sense. The cities are fortified very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Vegemites. Everyone dwells there. The Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the... There's so many people there and nations and fortified cities and so on. So what God said is true, yes, but I don't think God noticed the people. I don't think God realised there were actually people living in that land. God missed it. God told us a bit of a curly one. He didn't tell us the whole story. Oh, God, you made it sound like it was just going there, land of milk and honey, check out. You made it sound so walk in the park. But there are people there, God. There are all kinds of people there. Do you think God didn't know that? Do you think God was unaware of fortified cities, unaware of nations and armies? Do you think God didn't have a clue? Do you think when God tells you to do something, he has no idea of the obstacles? Do you think when God calls you to do something, he has no idea of the things you need to get through, the barriers you need to break down to get to that place? Do you think God has no idea? Do you think when God calls you to do something, God doesn't know who you are? And you go, well, hang on a second, God. I, you know, <laughs> I'm here threshing in the threshing floor one day in the wine press and um, a little man called Gideon. And the Bible says he's in a wine press threshing wheat. Now, you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You thresh wheat up on a bit of a mound and you throw it in the air and... The wind comes and blows the chaff and the wheat falls to the ground. But the Bible says Gideon had a wine press, a hole in the ground. Why? Because they were in fear of the raiders coming in and taking their crops and they, they were living in fear. He's in a wine press, doing the best he can, hoping that nobody will see. And God comes to Gideon and says, Guess what, Gideon, I've got a job for you, a task for you. I want you to, to do a great thing for me. There's a call of God in your life. And Gideon goes, Well, hang on, God, I'm from the, my tribe's the least and I'm the least of my tribe and I'm the least of the least. And God went... Oh, sorry, Gideon, you're right, sorry. I went and found someone else. God didn't do that. God is aware of who you are. Your pitfalls, your faults. God is aware of what you can and can't do. God is aware of your personality. God is aware of your past. God is aware of all this stuff, but God still calls us to do things. God still calls us to achieve. God still calls us to go and take possession of the land. God still calls us to take possession of the land. And they come back and they say, ten spies, all these things. But you know what? There were two men that went out there called Caleb and Joshua. And the Bible tells us that Caleb and Joshua had a different spirit to the rest of them. Caleb and Joshua had a different spirit to the rest of these guys. Ten spies came back and they complained, yeah, look, God, what God said was right, but all these other things. Caleb and Joshua said, no, no, no. I love Caleb's response here. As soon as the, the other ten spies are finished saying that there's the Canaanites there and everything, in verse 30, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and he said, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. Let us go up at once, right now. Right now. Don't sit there and think about all that stuff. Don't dwell on all the reasons why you should not obey God. Don't think about all the reasons. Don't let those things take root in your heart. All the reasons why you're not worthy enough or why you can't or why you shouldn't. If God is calling you to do something, do it. But I love the way Caleb words this. He says in verse 30, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. We are well able to overcome it. He doesn't say we're well able to overcome them, the people, the nations, the fortified. He realises what the issue is straight away. And the issue straight away is fear. It's fear. 
Caleb's a very smart man. He sees it straight away. He sees these ten spies giving their story. He sees the excitement when they started coming back. The spies are back. The spies are back. And everybody runs. Greets them as they come down the hill. They're carrying fruit and they've got all this stuff and they haven't seen them for a while. And they're all excited and the kids are running up, hugging their dads and the wives are going up, kissing their husbands and all this sort of... And everyone's excited. The nation's excited. We're excited because God said something great's coming out. You guys are looking at it. Yeah, we can't wait. Everyone's excited. And then the ten spies... Go, yes, it's like God said, yeah! God said, greatly, yeah! Full of fruit, yeah! Well, you take it, yeah! But there's really, really big people there, really strong. They've got chariots and fortified cities. You can just imagine the whole crowd. Oh. Don't know if any of you uh, follow rugby league. Remember uh, a few years ago, Terry Lamb kicked a field goal with um, about 30 seconds to go. Field goal's worth one point. They needed two points to, to draw the game. And for some silly reason, he took the field, got one point, jumped around like, like he drew the game, and then the penny dropped. I was like, ah! Oh. Utter disappointment, embarrassment, and shame. Go on. You can imagine what the crowd would have looked like here after hearing these spies give such a negative report, and fear begins to work its way in. And they start to doubt the word of God. They start to doubt what God has said. They start to doubt what the Lord has called them to. How often are we like that? How easy can it be for us to be like that when God speaks something to us? God speaks into our heart. God calls us to do something. God requires something of us. God wants us to join with him to bring heaven to earth. And the vehicle that God uses to bring heaven to earth is called faith. It's called faith. It's when we believe God and when we step out and we trust God And we deny the fear, the right to control us. We deny the doubts, the right to control us. And we give God, his Holy Spirit and his word, the right to dictate and control our lives. And we go with that. Caleb straight away saw that this fear is the thing that's coming against their faith. Fear is trying to stop them from entering the promised land. He speaks out straight away, we can overcome it. They continue to argue and, the, and, and, and the, the children of Israel get so angry with Caleb and Joshua, they actually want to stone them. They don't want to hear this positive report. They don't want to hear this person saying, we can do what God's called us to do. Doesn't that sound familiar? They don't want to hear these people who are encouraging them to trust God, to step out in faith and believe God. It wouldn't have been an easy task. Israel had no chariots. They were nomadic people. They didn't have big swords and weaponry. You know, uh, in the history of Israel, a lot of their fighting was done with like, pitchforks and rakes and things. Go and have a look at the history of Israel. They, 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 they weren't necessarily big, mighty military power. They gained a lot of power. They started getting kings and David and so on. But at this time here, they've got nothing. They've got nothing. And all of a sudden, how do you take a fortified city with a pitchfork? Well, is that your problem or God's? Who told you to do it? What's your problem? Just do what he said. God didn't say, you're going to have to take down that fortified city. God said, I'm giving you the land. You can read into that what you want. But let's stick with what God is saying to us. What is God saying? What has God said? What is God asking you to do? That's your bit. God does the other stuff. March around Jericho. Once a day, on the seventh day, do it and scream out, Aah! if you do that, guess what God does? 
He strips down the walls. God does his bit. He does the supernatural stuff. All he wants from us is that we would obey in faith and do what he's asking us to do. Step out in faith and trust God to do the rest of the stuff. Faith is the vehicle which pulls God's unseen heavenly things down to earth. It's faith. And God needs people of faith. And the church today, we need to rise up in faith. And we need to listen to what the Lord is saying. And we need to do what God is saying. As a New Testament believer, the church grew and flourished in an environment where each believer, each believer, firstly believed that God could speak to them. Believed that the Lord was speaking. Would listen to God. The early church was birthed from people hearing God and and God leading them. Go to this town and preach the gospel. Go to this place and preach it. Pray for this sick person. You know, um, Peter and John walked past that crippled guy at the temple door probably hundreds of times because they went to the synagogue every week. It was part of their custom. But one particular day, they were listening and the Spirit of God said, I want you to stop and pray for him today. They did it every day. Why didn't they pray for him every day? Because God didn't say every day do it. On this particular day, God did. And they were able to listen to God. I wonder what went through their minds. This is a really, really, really busy and populated place. If we walk over to this dude and start this transaction, we're going to get a bit of a crowd. What if he doesn't get healed? Well, what if he does get healed? What if he does? And we know the history, we know the story. He gets healed and people get saved and a great miracle is wrought and God's glorified and so on. But I'll tell you what, don't you think that they would have had obstacles to overcome? Every time they stepped out in faith and trusted God, don't you think that there would have been thoughts in their head? Don't you think there would have been inadequacies there? I wonder how Peter first felt. Rooster's going to crow three times. You're going to deny me. No, I won't. Because I'm the most gun-ho of all the disciples. I'm the first to speak up. I'm the most bold. I'm the most aggressive. I'm the one that will stand for you. Come what may, Jesus. And a rooster crows and Peter balls and runs like a baby. What do you think was going through his head the first time he heard the Holy Spirit say, I want you to do something for me? I reckon he probably might have wrestled a bit with it. There's nothing wrong with that. The wrestle is not the problem. It's what are you going to do? What's going to control you? The wrestle? The fear? Or God's word? What the Lord is saying to you? What's going to, to control you? You know, it's one thing to say to God, use me. It's another thing to be prepared to respond when he does. Use me, Lord. God, I want to be used by you to make a difference. I want to go forward. I want to take the land for Jesus. Then you're in the shopping centre one day pushing your trolley and the Lord taps you on the shoulder and goes, right here, see that lady over there? Go and tell her Jesus loves her. (gasps) Well, what I meant was on a Sunday morning in church, Lord, use me there, Sunday morning in church. It's safe there and... God says, no, this land's taken. There's land out there that needs to be taken. There's people out there that need to hear the good news of Jesus. There's people out there that don't have a relationship with God. God taps you on the shoulder and goes, I've got this business venture for you. I want you to do this. You go, well, that's not what I meant, God, when I said, use me to do, you know. When I said, Lord, use me, I want to make a difference in the world, I, 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 knew, what, I knew what I meant. God, you obviously didn't know what I meant. What I meant was, use me in this way, God. Only, you know, don't, don't ask me to get uncomfortable. Don't ask me to sell my possessions and go overseas and work uh, in, a, in a third world country. I didn't say that, God. That's not what I meant. Sorry, if, you, if that's what you heard, my mistake. I obviously didn't make myself clear enough. Lord, use me to make a difference in this way. God says, well, hang on a second. Whose will is it? 
I can use you to make a difference in that way, but guess what? You can claim the glory for it. You know why? Because you're comfortable and you know you can do it. And God taps us on the shoulder and says, you know what? I want you to do something for me. And what is our natural response? I remember years and years and years ago, I made a decision. When I got saved and I, I, I went and joined a mission agency and I got around some really, really good people early in my walk with God. And I'm glad I did that. And uh, one of the things that rubbed off on me was the importance of responding to God when God speaks to us. When the Lord speaks to you, it's important to respond. I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you this. If you have a habit of not responding to God when he asks you to do something, which is basically the same as saying no to God. That's, we'll call it what it is. It's saying no. We may have valid reasons for it, but it's just another way of saying no to God. Yes to fear. Which, who's the orchestrator of fear? Well, it's not God. So we put two and two together. We're bowing our knee to something. It's God or something else. And I, early on in my walk with God, made this decision. That that's, that's what I want. That's what I see in the Bible. That's what I want to do. I want to be used by God. And, 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 and my theory was this. If, if God asks me to do something and I don't do it, who do you think he's going to ask next time he wants something done? Is he going to ask me, knowing that I will disobey his voice and put me in that position, or is he going to go, okay, I'll ask this person over here because I know that they'll respond. I'm asking you, you don't want to be a part of this, you don't. So do I keep asking you knowing that you're going to keep on saying no or do I move on and go, well, look, I know this person will. And so I'll graciously go over here and I'll ask this person, will this person do what I'm asking to do? Because I know this person will. So I decided that I want every time I, every time I even have a hint, even a sense that God might be asking me to do something, I said, God, I'm just going to do it. I'll do it to the point where heaven gets so annoyed at me that you'll just make, you'll say something to me anyway because the angels are going to be pulling their hair out going, God, please tell him something because he's running off on every direction. Just give him something, please. That was my theory when I, when I got saved. And so I remember uh, one time we were living in Bundaberg actually. Uh, we went to Jackie's auntie's place and we were walking along the street and I'm walking along and I'm praying as I'm walking going, oh God, you're a good God and thank you and Lord, you know you know my heart, God, use me. And I see this guy on the other side of the road coming towards me and I looked up and this name, Steve, flashed into my head. I went, his name's Steve. And I had it, I already worked it out. I'm going to walk over to him, declare his name Steve. He's going to turn and go, how do you know that? I'm going to say, I don't know that, but the Lord Jesus does and you've got to bow your knee to him. He's going to fall on the ground on his knees. He's going to start weeping in the streets. We're going to see a miracle happen there. I already worked it out. I knew it was going to happen. So with boldness, I said, yes, Lord, I'll respond. I turned across the road and went, hey, Steve. And he looked up at me and went, what? It's not my name. I went, sorry, wrong person. And walked back over the other side of the street and kept on walking. But you know what? Even though it was wrong, guess what? I still felt like I won. I still felt like I won because I showed God and I showed myself, even though I was afraid to do it and it was fearful, but I stepped out in faith anyway and I did that. And guess what happened years and years after that? I had a lot of opportunities, a lot of times where God has spoken to me. And you know what? I've got it wrong a lot of times, but a lot of times I've got it right too. And I often wonder, when God speaks to us, if we don't respond, if we sit down like these guys and we have a bit of a party around all the reasons why we shouldn't do it, you know what, the consequences are minimal really for me, but they're huge for those people that are going to be affected by my obedience. Ten spies came, gave a bad report, and a whole generation went down with them. It wasn't just about them. A whole generation went down with them. I was in a... um, a school, a high school in Chinchilla, 
Uh, this is going back a, 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 probably a, a few years now when I used to do high school and, and evangelism in, in universities and TAFE colleges and so on. And I remember being in this high school, Chinchilla High School it was, in, in Queensland, Chinchilla. And we were up there and we did a program and we were doing drama and I used to get up and do some acting and dramas and things like that. And then we would share testimonies then we would preach the gospel. And, and um, while we were there, we were billeted out to these different people's homes. So I was billeted out to a farm out in the middle of nowhere. And, and it was freezing cold, middle of winter. They had this big lake. And every morning I'd wake up and I'd go for a walk around the lake and I'd just pray to the Lord, and then that bus would pick me up and we'd go and we'd do our ministry in different places. One particular morning, I'm walking around, and um, I, I, I get this picture, this vision pops in my head of two girls. One had long, uh, one was long brown hair, and the other one was short blonde hair with glasses. And I saw this picture, and I sort of startled me. I thought, oh, wow, that's cool. Never had one of those before. So I thought, okay, well, what do I do with that? I, thought, I don't know, I'll, just, I'll pray for these girls. I don't know who they are. So I'm praying for these girls. And I spent about 20 minutes just praying for these girls. bus picks me up, we go to school. We get, we're, we've got the whole school in there, we're behind the, the, the curtain, getting ready and we're just praying as a group. And I'm the youngest believer in that group. And I'm probably, uh, I was probably the second youngest person, but definitely the youngest believer. I don't even say for a, a, two years, year and a bit, whatever. Anyway, I'm in there and, 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 and we're praying and I felt like God said to me, I want you to share that vision with the rest of these mature believers around. Just share the picture. Because I want you to pray for these girls. And I'm thinking, no way, dude, I'm not doing God, that's kind of, that's, that's getting on, on, you know, a bit outside my comfort zone here, God. And I'm thinking, what if it's wrong? What if it's, you know, too much? And I'm going through all these things. And anyway, in the end, I thought, what have I got to lose? God, if it's not you, what's the worst case scenario? We pray for two faces that don't exist. But what if it is you? What if it is you, God? So we're about to finish up our, our prayer time and go out. And I said to the leader, sorry, one second, look, I feel like I've got to share something. Saw a vision, two girls, one with long brown hair, one with short blonde hair and glasses. Hey, can we pray for them? And they were gracious, they were fantastic. They said, look, excellent. Oh, thanks for sharing that. Let's pray for these. And we all prayed together. We went out there, we did our program, program finished. Uh, we all get off the stage and we go and we're sitting there chatting to these different pocket kids. And I got this real pain in the backside kid. He just, he was annoying. I've never forgot him. He wanted to question everything and tell me. He basically sat there telling me I'm an idiot and I'm deceived and all this stuff. And I did there graciously in the school grounds going, oh, yes, yeah, God bless you. Yeah, yeah. Just wanted to punch him. But anyway, he gave it to me. He gave it to me for about an hour. Couldn't get away from him. Anyway, the program was finished. We've packed up the bus. I'm finished. I've gone to, 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 to um, go and get on the bus and I'm looking around. And I must admit, I'm thinking, oh, I missed it. I missed it. Totally missed it. There was one girl called Christy. She was standing right up the front of the hall there. And she's just standing there by herself. And I'm up the back and I'm about to walk out the door. And as I'm about to walk out, I turn and I look. In the back left-hand corner there, I see this face just pop through the door like that. And my heart stopped. I saw a girl with long brown hair and I thought, I've seen that face before. And then the face disappeared. Then the next thing I see this girl walk in, short blonde hair and glasses, and she stood there. And she's just staring at Christy. And then she turns around, goes out. Then the two of them walk in, they walk up to Christy. And Christy sits down. Oh, I got so pumped. I ran and jumped on the bus. Everyone else was already waiting on the bus. I said, let's pray. Let's pray. I said, I just saw. So we all prayed. Cut a long story short. Christy comes in the bus afterwards and she got to lead those two girls to the Lord that morning. Fantastic moment. But you know what? I felt like God said to me afterwards. He encouraged me afterwards. So you know what? You stepped out in obedience. You stepped out in faith. It seemed like a, a simple little thing, really. I saw this picture and just, I mean, what's the worst case scenario? We pray for two people that don't exist. What's the best case scenario? Those human beings do exist. The enemy's doing everything he can to stop them from coming that day, meeting their saviour, but we pray we break through and that person gets saved. That was a wonderful day. It was a wonderful day. There was another time in an RE class 
and I had a, a little bunch of kids. I was teaching RE in Brisbane, and this little uh, boy came running up, and, and I was talking to them about how God's changed my life, and blah, blah, blah. And this kid came up, and he had this, this, this um, cast-type thing on his hand. He'd broken his wrist playing footy or something the day before, and he comes up being all smart alecky. Well, if your guy's real good, pray for my hand. I felt like God said, pray for his hand. I thought, okay, no. So anyway, I put my hand on this kid. Again, little smart aleck attitudes, these kids. I just wanted to punch him too. But I mean, I thought, no worries, I'll pray for you. God bless in Jesus' name. So I laid my hands on him, I prayed for him. Forgot all about it, went back. Uh, packed up all my gear from the class. Uh, got into a conversation with some kid. Walked out, went over to a bubbler. Started pouring water out of the bubbler to have a drink. And I hear this kid screaming, yelling, ah, hey, sir, sir, sir. What, 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 what? Kid comes running over. Already taken the thing off, cut the cast off. Because look at this, I can move my hand. Totally. And then these other kids, and he's telling these kids, oh, this is what happened, you know, this guy prayed for me. Da-da-da-da. Again, I thought, might not seem like a big thing. But the Lord asked me to pray for a kid's hand. Simple little thing. It's not, doesn't seem like it's moving mountains. But you know what? I don't know who that kid is now, but it's 20 something years on. I bet she's never forgot that. I don't know what he's doing with his life. He could be pastoring a church somewhere for all I know. He could be preaching, uh, it's the crusades overseas. You just don't know how far these things ripple along. But God is looking for people who will be obedient when he calls, be obedient when he speaks. Get over ourselves, get over our own insecurities, get over our own fear and start to do what God is asking. It's one thing to know everything God wants us to do as a church. It's one thing to know that Jesus has said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's another thing to do it. It's one thing to know that Jesus says, pray for the sick. It's another thing to do it. It's one thing to know that God says tithe. It's another thing to do it. We know a lot of stuff in the Western church. We know a lot of stuff. But how much of the stuff are we doing? We go to seminars and we get books and we just want more and more knowledge. More and more stuff. Give me another seminar on this. Give me another workshop on that. Give me another book on that. Another video series and DVD series. It's information overload. We've got so much knowledge. We're probably a generation of Christians who, have, who know more stuff about this book than probably any previous generation. But it doesn't matter how much stuff we know. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Do we have that attitude of the ten spies every time God comes and asks us to do something? Or every time we flick open the word of God and it tells us this is how we should be living our life, this is what we should do. Do we have that same attitude where we, we, we look at that and we acknowledge, go, yes, that's God, yes, that's real, yes, that's true. But here's a thousand reasons why it's not going to work for me. Here's a million reasons why that's not applicable to me. We can live like that and guess what? We will be saved and we will die and we will go to heaven, but we will miss out on so much here. You see, living by faith has nothing to do with your salvation. It's not about the destination you're going. It's about the journey along the way. I'm going to the same destination as you and every other believer in in the world because of the, the grace and the mercy of Jesus and the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. That's why I'm going to my destination. The destination is secure. I'm going there. I can't add to that, take away from that. I'm going there because of Jesus, because of his death. But it's about the journey. Living my faith is about the journey to getting there. You know, when my first ever time I went overseas on an outreach uh, trip, uh, I went to uh, preach the gospel in Indonesia and Malaysia. And we rocked up, I was with a team, we rocked up at the 
airport to get on. And our travel agent who'd booked our tickets was actually on the same flight as us. She always booked all the, the um, airline tickets for you through the mission outreach team. She's a lovely lady. Anyway, we rocked up. I had no idea how you, 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 you should travel. I got trackies on, a pair of thongs, my baseball cap on backwards, all the, the you know, all the, 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 the muscle shirt on, all the stuff that kids, none of us, we're all dressed like a bunch of yobo hippie backpackers. And our travel agent was on the same flight. She was there uh, in front of us. And you know, she's in a nice suit and everything, and briefcase, all that sort of stuff. And, and she gets up to the counter and she does a transaction and there's the passport. And she gets it. She turns around and then she just steps to the side just to, to you know, good travel agent, make sure that we're, we're okay. And we rock up. We get there and the, the guy behind the thinker, blah, 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 and there's how seven of you said that. And he calls our leader forward and he goes, hey, how would you guys like to get put in business class? I've got some spare seats in business class. And we, of course, yeah. Definitely. So we got bumped up to business class. So we rode that whole trip for a bit. Well, I'll tell you what, our travel agent hasn't spoken to us since, by the way. She turned around, she saw what happened, and instead of waiting, she turned around and she walked off. She was so gutted that the seven hobo, hillbilly-looking people got bumped up to business class. And she's a travel agent, she got stuck in economy. Let me tell you something. I arrived at Singapore Airport the same time as the economy passengers. Got there the same time. Not a second earlier. Not a second later. I landed and touched down the same time as the economy passengers. I ended up in the same destination as the economy passengers. We all ended up in Singapore. Every one of us. We all got there at the same time. We all got there at the same place. But I'll tell you what, the journey was very different. Very different. I've flown economy class my whole life. This is the only time I've ever sat in business. And I'll tell you what, I will take business over economy any chance I get. They're walking up to you with trays of food. Would you like this stuff that I didn't even know existed on a plane? Because I've only ever seen the, you know, the the, the Vegemite sandwiches and the the, the little, you know, fifty mil cans of Coke and all the stuff they give you in economy class. And then I pull the curtain across so you can't see what the rest of the plane are getting. I've only ever seen that. And I'm there and I'm getting Turkish delights and the biggest sandwiches and big drinks of this. And it's all been lavished on. I'm not asking. I'm not having to ask a, a, a stewardess coming down. I'm not saying, oh, excuse me, trying to get their attention for 50 minutes just to get a drink of water. They're walking up to me every, can I get you something? Can I get, what would you, I'll get it right now. Just wait there and I'll come back. And they were chasing me and they're giving you, it was a fantastic journey. And living life by faith, developing that side. Nature is about the journey. It's not about the destination. We'll get to the same place. But I'll tell you what, it's a lot more uh, enjoyable journey when we learn to live by faith, when we learn to trust God, when we learn to take what God says to us and apply it to our life and do it. It's such a better journey. The quality of the journey is so different. It's so different. It shouldn't be such a contrast, really, Because it should be what we call normal Christianity. Unfortunately, in the West, it's not so much anymore. We see somebody that's living by faith and we see, uh, uh, you know, they're telling stories of I approached this person and the Lord said, pray and I didn't, they were healed and I shared the gospel with this person, they got saved and the Lord told me to, 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 to give this finance over there and not worry about my own needs and he blessed me. We hear these stories, you know, they're the people who all of a sudden we put them on a pedestal and go, write a book and teach us. Run a seminar, I'll come. The truth of the matter is they're just doing what this book talks about. Here's your seminar. Here's your book. Here's your video series right here. You want to activate it? Get in that place of prayer. Connect with God. Talk to God. Listen to God. Let him guide your steps. Let him guide your steps. 
God wants us to live by faith. As a matter of fact, it says Hebrews 11.6, without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What is the reward for diligently seeking God? It's the opportunity to exercise faith. That's the reward you get. That's the reward. It rewards you with the opportunity to exercise faith, knowing that every time you exercise faith, a piece of heaven drops down to earth. A piece of heaven drops down to earth. When we diligently seek God, God goes, you know what, that person is diligently seeking me. I'm going to give them an opportunity to work with me and bring a bit of heaven down to earth. But it's going to take faith. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to set up a divine situation where I want to get involved and I'm going to bring you, I'm going to use you in that place. It's the reward that those who diligently seek God get. The opportunity to step out in faith and be a part of God's plan. You all know the end of the story. The Israelites, a whole generation died in the wilderness. You go through to Joshua chapter uh, 9, I think it is. Joshua chapter 2, sorry. And Joshua gets this call from God and, you know, you're going to lead them now and so on. And he sends some spies in as well. And the spies go and they stay with the Rahab, the prostitute. What's amazing is this is years later after a whole generation have perished. When the spies go in there, what does Rahab say to the spies? Joshua chapter 2. Before they laid down, verse 8, she came up to them on the roof. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. We know. Us in our fortified cities, us giants, we know God's given it to you. How come it's taking you so long? Why is it taking you so long? We know. And the terror of you has fallen on all of us. And all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For 40 years, while you've been over there perishing, unable, unwilling to respond to God and walk across and come and take... We have been over here getting stomach ulcers for 40 years in fear and trembling because we know that you're God's people and we know that this land is yours. This is what she's saying. The whole land, all the inhabitants are in terror. Because we heard, she goes and says, because we heard how God parted the waters of the Red Sea and how you walked across on dry land and how the chariots of Pharaoh and everything. They said, we know the story, we know it all. And we've been over here packing death all this time. What have you been doing? Well, we've been disobeying God, actually. We've been bowing to fear, bowing to insecurity. We've been bowing to our own self-image. We've been bowing to what we, you know, take your pick. And a whole generation missed out. What a sad, sad story. All they had to do was shut the ten spies up, listen to the two, and this whole book could have panned out a little bit differently. You know, Winston Churchill once said, when the what-ifs loom larger in your conscience than the why-nots, then cowardice rules over courage and dreams go unfulfilled. I love that. When the what-ifs loom larger in your conscience than the why-nots. And that's what happens. That's what we've got to see when God speaks to us. That's what we've got to see when we see the Word of God and it comes alive. When we know the Spirit of God is asking us to do something, we've got to go straight to the place of why not? Why not? Don't go to the what-if. 
It'll paralyze you. And we'll do nothing. As individuals, you'll do nothing. Your life will stay the same. You won't get out of the ruts, the holes, whatever it is that you feel like you're in. You'll never get out of it because you'll get comfortable in it. Even when God speaks to you. We've got to see the potential. We've got to see what the Lord is saying. We've got to have within us that heart of obedience for God. Amen. Let's be a church. Let's be a church that do what God is asking us. Let's be a church that's committed to obedience to God. Not to just knowing stuff about God, but to listening to His Spirit and responding to His Spirit. And you know what? Not just in here. You know, so many, so many people when it comes to, to, to doing stuff for God, God, use me. What they're really saying to God is, God, use me in the safety of the church. I don't know how many uh, people I've met over my years of, 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 of running training schools and so on, and we want God to use us. And God goes, right, yeah, you've got a teaching gift. Then go out there and teach. No, 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 I mean, God, let, give me a chance to stand in front of the church and teach. Oh, I've got this evangelistic gift. I need you to, you know, God, let me go around and teach people how to do events. No, why don't you just exercise your gift out there? Go and talk to people about Jesus. I've got a healing gift, God, so, so can you let me come into your church and pray for you? Well, why don't you go to the shopping centre? Go to the hospital, ask God to lead you, ask, God to, ask the Spirit of God to direct you. Go and do something that's going to make a difference for the world. Just a thought. Anyway. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Father, for who you are again today, God. And we thank you, Lord, for the journey that each of us are on. That, Lord, God, it's an exciting, exciting journey. Father, there are pitfalls and roadblocks and, God, a lot of things that would try to pull us up on that journey. Father, lots of things that would try to, to push us off course, lots of things that would try to peel us back. God, lots of things that would try to tell us, okay, it's nice that you're saved, but just calm down. It's good that you're going to heaven. What more do you want? Well, Lord, the truth is we want more. God, we want more. We thank you that our salvation is secure, but Father, we live in a world where the salvation of many is not secure. They don't know you. And God, unfortunately, a lot of them are looking at your people and going, well, what's the difference? You go to a meeting on a Sunday, but what's the difference? Father, our prayer, Lord, is that we could be that difference, that, Father, they... They would look at us, God, and we would be people who are not just content to be saved, but, Father, we would be marching forward. We'd be pushing into the things of God. We'd be pushing in to the plans and the purposes of the Lord, God, not just as a, a body, as a church, but, Father, even individually in our own lives, that we would be pushing into you, God. We would be listening to your voice, God. We would be shaping our lives based on what you say. We would be directing our decisions and our paths based on your word based upon your direction, Father. And that, God, I know as we do that, Father, as we do that, Lord, the world can't help but notice that we're different. 
Lord, it says in, 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 in 2 Chronicles 16:9, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro about the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. And Father, loyalty to you is not about talk, it's about action, God. And Father, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, just come and touch our hearts, Spirit of God. Come and show us those areas of our life where we need to maybe make adjustments and shifts and changes. Father, speak clearly to us as we go about our daily life, Lord. We want to be used by you, Father. We want to be a reflection of the living God, not a reflection of the Christian religion, but a reflection of a living, vibrant, active God, a reflection of a resurrected Jesus, a reflection of a healing Jesus, a reflection of a groundbreaking Jesus, God, a reflection of a delivering Jesus, a reflection of an overcoming Jesus, a reflection of a life-giving Jesus. That's what we want. So, Father, we pray, use us, God, use us. As we go from this place this morning, Lord, over the next week, I ask, Father, that you would speak to us, God, and you would use us. Use us to help people come to know you, Father. Break us out of any apathy or any areas of complacency in our life, God. Shake us up, Father, so we can be all you want us to be and have all that you want us to have, Father. We love you this morning, Jesus. We thank you. Thank you for your death in Jesus' name.